Hey everyone, Ilya here. So welcome to a really special episode of That Thing I Did for a Year. This is our first live recording. So this was with Shivani, and we did it in the pit, or the Sanford Fleming Atrium for the fancy talk-minded. Uh, this is kind of why there's going to be a little bit of echo and the occasional comment in the background, but also why we got to have an awesome Q&A. Uh, we were really excited to do this, and we hope to do more of it in the future. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to That Thing I Did for a Year, a podcast where we interview fourth-year University of Toronto students about experiences they had in a year away from school. My name is Ilya. I'm a fourth-year University of Toronto industrial engineering student here, and today I'll be talking to Shivani. Behind production is Arkadia Hungarovsky, a fourth-year engineering science student and the mastermind behind the operation. So today we're going to be talking to Shivani. Why don't you introduce yourself? Um, hi everyone, my name is Shivani Nathu. I am an engineering science energy systems student in my fourth year, and I finished my co-op last year at the Independent Electricity System Operator, also known as the IESO. We're going to keep calling it the IESO. Yes. Uh, so uh, I love asking this question because the answers are all over the place. Why engineering science? Um, so for me, I knew I wanted to do ener engineering science because I knew I wanted to do energy systems. Um, right from the get-go? Yeah. So I was really, really passionate about sustainable energy and doing energy when I was younger, but I didn't know what discipline to do it through, because you can do mechanical, industrial, electrical, obviously chemical, and I didn't want to pick, um, which is why engineering science was perfect, because I didn't have to pick. By and just doing all of the things. All of the things, yep. I'm taking courses, I've taken energy policy courses, energy from mechanical, industrial, chemical, electrical, so it's been a perfect fit for me. So when you got there, like, given that you already knew that you wanted to do energy, like, were you cool with just taking everything under the sun beforehand? Do you mean like in first and second year? Yeah, yeah. First and second year, I also like learning. And so Whoa. I liked the challenge that first and second year brought me. Um, there were certain times and specific courses that I was kind of struggling to, through. And I was like, I'm never going to use this again. Why am I taking it? Um, but the nice thing about I find engineering science is that you can still apply that knowledge, even if it's not the direct courses, but some of the general knowledges. And it also teaches you how to learn which is really important in the workplace and just in life. Just generally? Yeah. So did you end up doing anything to do with like energy or energy policy like before you went into the energy option in third year? Um, I worked for a climate change nonprofit the summer after high school. What was that like? Um, it was very interesting because it was just me and the person who started it. Um, we worked at the Center for Social Innovation, which is kind of like an incubator for um, startups, nonprofits that have a social innovation as a platform. Um, and it was lots of long hours, lots of grunt work, but it was really interesting to kind of see that network and see that world. Okay. Was there somebody you knew, or like how did you get involved with that? Um, I got involved with that, I think I just met them at a green fair that I went to and like made connections there. I can't remember honestly because it was like grade nine, but I just went to like some green expos, um, energy, lo more local things. Um, so not like on a big Toronto scale, but um, some small climate change uh, things that were happening in the neighborhood and met him through there. 
Okay, gotcha. And did you do that like both summers after first year and after second year? No, it was just the summer before first year. The summer before first yes. year. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, did you end up engaging in anything in like the energy type field like while in university or not as much? Not as much. I went to a couple of like climate change and energy talks. Um, I was involved with Sustainable Engineers Association in first year a little bit mm -hmm. um, and attended their conferences and stuff in my later years, but nothing too like hardcore, I would say. But you still felt like that's what you wanted to yeah, do? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, what else did you end up getting up to in kind of like those first two years? Okay, so the summer after first year, I was like, this is probably going to be the last time that I'm not going to the last chance I'm going to have to not do anything engineering related. Right. And the summer after high school, um, along with working for the climate change nonprofit, I also volunteered for the FIFA Women's Under 20 World Cup, which was hosted in Toronto. That is super cool. And Canada hosted the actual Women's World Cup in the summer after first year. So I flew to Vancouver, lived there for six weeks and volunteered for that in Vancouver, which was really cool. Um, and then I came back and I worked at Toronto Rehab as a data analyst for the latter two months of the summer. Um, and then my summer after second year, I did a research exchange in Liverpool. Was that, were those two times your first times living away from family or like away from home? Yeah. So the moving out to Vancouver was kind of the first time that I was somewhere um, away from like everyone because I didn't really know anyone in Vancouver except for a girl that I went to elementary school with and hadn't really talked to in a while. Um, my family lives in the greater Toronto area so even though I live downtown now I still see them like once a month per right. se. So that was like kind of my first venture out on my own. How was that? It was really fun. Um, I liked having the structure of having the volunteer program because I was still meeting people and being social. You weren't just like new and alone. Yeah, I wasn't new and alone. I had the structure where I would see people. Um, they also gave us food when we worked, which was nice. Um, so I had all those meals, didn't have to fully cook for myself all the time. Um, but it was a really great way to meet people. And if you're traveling on your own, I would highly recommend volunteering while you're doing it because it's so easy to get connected really easily, like really quickly. And you just got people who are doing and liking the same thing you're doing and liking. Yeah, and it was really cool because I got this like interest, intro to this world of like sports and all these people who um, this was what their lives were and I got to like taste that for six weeks. Right. Yeah. Was the summer in Liverpool different in that way? I found the summer in Liverpool different. It was a little more isolating in the sense that I was doing research and I didn't meet as many people and didn't make as many connections because um, it was kind of like an independent research thing with my professor and me. Um, we lived in a house um, which had other University of Toronto students on exchange, so I made connections with them, but I didn't necessarily get the same perspective that I did in Vancouver. Why not? I think because I didn't push myself to join as many things and meet new people. It was just kind of like, these are the five people I'm with and we're going to do all of these different things together. Um, whereas in Vancouver, because I didn't have anyone with, there with me from the start, I kind of had to force myself to get out of my comfort zone. Gotcha. Um, did you, what, were you, what kind of research were you doing when you were in Liverpool? Um, so I was there for I think seven weeks um, and it essentially ended up just being like a literature review of um, we were looking at the way glass curved glass shatters um, in response to explosions 
so it was kind of a, a foray into reading the literature on glass shattering, essentially. Okay, so that seems like a really, really tight topic, but also whenever I hear about research, it seems like a very, very tight topic. What's like the nuance behind glass shattering? Um, so the reason that we were looking at glass shattering and curved glass shattering was because, and I guess what I found interesting was the backstory. Um, Scotland Yard and a lot of these other like police and high security buildings are now, because of architecture, they're having more curved structures. Um, but there also could be attacks targeting them. So it was kind of like, we've never done research into looking at if they're stronger or weaker against like bombs, that kind of thing, which is why this was interesting. Um, when we had done it, the field was really new, so there still wasn't a lot of existing research. Um, yeah. Enough for you to review literature for seven weeks, though. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Definitely. Did you like kind of getting into a field that you had, I would imagine, never touched before and just going deep for seven weeks? What I liked about it, and I was kind of pulling on my NSI experience, I essentially did like two weeks of learning essentially the uh, theory behind how glass shatters and like how structures work and all of that so that I could understand the papers because academic papers are really, really full of jargon and hard to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought that was kind of cool, and I did like going in a certain depth, um, I would say, but one of the things that I didn't like as much was the pace at which things moved. Um, I've heard research is slow in general, and also because it's Europe, everything in Europe is slower, so... Are they just more relaxed? Or? Yeah, they're, they're more, definitely more relaxed than I would say we are here. Um, so I found that kind of frustrating at times where I'd reach out and be like, oh, I want to have a meeting, but then my prof would be like, oh, let's do it next week. And so I was like, okay, You're like, I guess I'm is, sightseeing over the weekend. That is I don't just know like one of my seven weeks. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so you finished that up, you got back here, and then you started third year, yes. at which point you had already picked your energy option. Mm-hmm. Um, so were you immediately just in all energy courses? Yes, we had one economics course in third year, but the rest was just all energy. Did it feel significantly different studying the thing that you had like come to university to study? It was very different, and I remember just being like in awe the first couple of weeks, <laughs> and like, oh my god, this is like what I love to do. Um, yeah, it was a really nice feeling. Did it change your outlook on like school or motivational classes, or did you find it ended up being the same? Um, it definitely changed my. I guess my feelings towards classes and my feelings in classes because in first and second year you don't necessarily see how the thing you're learning is going to relate to what you're doing but in third year and, and also in fourth year everything I'm taking I can actually see both how it's going to relate to me in the future but how it relates to the workforce right now Okay. and cool. like applications. So with, with that in mind, um, was PY like a foregone conclusion for you in terms of being able to apply your classes and whatnot to work? Yeah, so I was, when I was looking at PUI, I knew that I wanted to do something that would let me get a better sense of what the energy sector looks like. Um, I was also open to environmental sector because I wasn't sure if I wanted to do energy or environment, but I think I applied to like 10 jobs in the first semester because I only wanted to do very specific things. Um, I would have rather just done school and then graduated than do something that I wasn't interested in. Okay, so you didn't find that like the idea of just work experience generally was what you were looking for. You wanted to see like your sector. Yeah. Okay, 
So was that the only criteria that was on your mind when you were looking for jobs? Um, yeah, I think so. It was my sector and then also things that I would find interesting um, when I was actually choosing my job. So I applied to a number of different places, including like, so there's kind of three sectors within the energy sector. There's um, transmission, which is like Hydro One. There's distribution, um, like Toronto Hydro. And then there's a the generation side of things. Um, and some of them are very technical. And when you're working for them, you just kind of sit there and do calculations. And I didn't want to do that kind of stuff because I wanted to be engaged and enriched. So I wanted to go further than just number crunching. So what's further than number crunching or what's not number crunching in the case of being an engineer in energy? Um, so I guess that kind of segues into my job a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, but the job that I was doing um, for the ISO was a power system planning. Um, and so what I got to do was kind of look at the higher system level of the power sector, um, forecast our electricity demand for the next 20 years, see whether or not we'd meet it. Um, so there's a lot of modeling, a lot of big picture analysis, and a lot of big picture questions um, because you have economics coming into it, um, social implications, that kind of stuff. So it's not necessarily the numbers on the page, but what do they mean and how do we work with them? So I guess to back up for a second, what is like the title of the job that you had that you were just doing all of that? Um, it was, so it was in the power system planning department and I was a resource planner, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Did they say that you would be doing all of that like in the job description? The job description said long-term planning. It didn't specify between resource and transmission, um, but it just kind of said that like you would be doing analysis and like long-term planning of the power sector and looking at different things within it. So just to back up, because I don't know what this means, what yes. does transmission mean in the context of just energy? Yeah, uh, transmission is the wires that transport electricity. And that's different from distribution? Um, transmission is the high voltage ones, so they're the really tall towers. Um, and distribution is the stuff that goes around houses, the shorter towers. Okay. Um, so if it, if it looks like a giant man, that's the <laughs> transmission. <laughs> um, if it looks like a couple of telephone wires um, and telephone poles, that's just distribution. Okay, and so you were on more on the transmission side? Yes, um, so I was more transmission level, so that kind of like entire sector, but I was looking more at resources and so in the resources side of things, you look at the generators, how much do they produce, and then do they meet the demands. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So what is the ISO, and like, how does it interact with power? Okay, um, so little history of the ISO. The ISO actually used to be two different things. Um, it was the Ontario Power Authority and the ISO, and they merged in 2014. So the Ontario Power Authority kind of liaised with the government, they used to do um, long-term forecasting, planning, handle contracts, um, that kind of role, and then the ISO would just do the operation of the grid, so they're the ones that make sure that the lights are kept on every day, mm -hmm. um, that generators are running when they need to, we have the right amount of reserves when we need to so that we don't have any blackouts. Um, in 2014, when the two merged, uh, the ISO took on all of those responsibilities and so the department that I was in and how it related to power was that we were the ones forecasting electricity um, and checking what, to make sure that our system is going to last for the next 20 years. We have enough generation to 
um, meet all of the demands. We have wires in the places that they need to be so that we can get electricity to who, they, who it needs to get to over the next 20 years, um, which takes into account like population growth and where the population is growing. Um, yeah. Okay, so that's where it's at now. Yes. Is it a private organization or is it entirely a part of the government? Um, it is a crown corporation, which means that it's attached to the government, but it's not really attached to the government. Like, it has independence, but the gr- government still, like, oversees it in a way. Okay, gotcha. So, would you say, like, you were working for the government? Would you say, like, it was, like, public sector work? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, where is it? It's in Toronto? Where are you um, working? So, there's two offices. The one that was formerly the ISO, so we call it, like, legacy ISO, it was out in um, Oakville, Mississauga, but the place that I worked was down in the financial district. Okay, which is like downtown Toronto. Yeah. What were your first few days on the job like? My first few days on the job um, were a lot of reading, um, essentially what was happening in the sector, um, reading about how the market worked, how electricity market worked, how our electricity um, market was going to look in the next 20 years, and how essentially what our forecasts for the next 20 years are. Um, I also sat in a lot of meetings that my uh, supervisor had with people from the government as well as people from, um, I guess, the organization, just listening to what was going on. Okay. Yeah. When did you feel like you started doing work? Like work work? The next week. <laughs> um, and I say that because, so I was a huge energy nerd and I... A lot of the things that were going on in the energy sector I knew already because I had attended like the talks or read up on it beforehand so my learning curve was a lot shorter than other people and the next week I had started doing um, the forecasting and stuff like that um, with the previous intern kind of mentoring me and showing me how things worked. So was this the person who had already been there for 12 months? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Was like how useful was that to have? It was very useful to have someone showing me what to do, especially because there's a lot of document. So the way that our kind of group worked is that everyone in the group had a specific role that they had been doing for a really, really long time. So they were the expert in that. But if they were on vacation or if they were away, that knowledge kind of left with them. Okay. But with the interns, we were the ones that kind of documented everything which was really useful when you're being trained because if you were reading the documentation, you didn't know what was going on, you could actually ask the person who was there and they'd also give you the tips and tricks of like, if this person says this, this is what they actually mean. They just don't know how to phrase it. Into human speak? Yes, exactly. So you would have documents of like when Bob talks, what he means is? Yes. That's amazing. Kind of, yeah. I... I've never heard of that, and I really wish that existed everywhere where I've worked, because that would be super, super useful. I mean, more of that, most of that stuff was kind of, like, um, like verbally given, but we definitely had, like, there was a sheet that was, like, here's how to produce this forecast, also known as list of seven things, because different people called it different things. Oh, okay. Okay. So just, like, yeah. corporate jargon for the intern yes. to get up to speed. Yeah. So you mentioned that you were able to get up to speed, like, far more quickly because you were, like, an energy nerd. Yeah. What, just like initially, like what drew you to the energy field? Why were you like so much of a nerd that you already knew all the stuff before they taught it to you? Um, I guess what drew me to the field is that um, it's a way for you to make a difference in a way that impacts a lot of people. Okay. Um, 
which sounds cheesy, but like it's the kind of thing that everyone needs electricity, right? And if you're trying to save the world, if you're trying to help the climate, this is one way if you do it at a higher system level, it actually impacts people. And you know that the work that you're doing is keeping the lights on for other people. So I found it really fulfilling because I knew that it was actually doing something as opposed to sitting in a lab or sitting in a, at a desk and not knowing like whether or not what you were doing was worth it or making a difference. Okay, gotcha. I think you had just like read a bunch about it, like knew a lot of just how that industry worked. Yeah. So for the first little while, was most of the work you were doing forecasting or like what else was mixed in there? Yeah. Um, So my role kind of had, there were three things that I was mainly doing. Um, One of them was forecasting. And so we would get the inputs on what everyone Essentially, it was like the number of houses that we predict and to be in Ontario in all of these different years, and then based on that, um, how much light does each house use? How much, like water, or how many washers and dryers? And so, like, this is like these are like as changing values. Yes, as okay. changing values over the next twenty years, and the forecasting model would kind of take those inputs and translate that to energy. Um, so that was one of the things I did. The second thing was um, energy modeling, and so we would look at essentially put all of the generators that are in Ontario in this one big model and then give it different constraints on how much we're getting from different jurisdictions, how much we're getting from the generators and see if we have enough energy to last us the next 20 years or not. Um, You keep saying 20 years, like that number keeps coming up. Is there any specific reason why 20 years is just like the target? 20 years was just what was used for the (laughs) forecasts. I don't know why it's 20 years, but it's it's 20 years. yeah. So you're saying that if everybody who does anything remotely like your job stops, we've got like a pretty good picture, 20 years, we're fine. After yeah. that, we're just screwed. Yeah. Okay. That, that's somewhat comforting. I mean, there's other people who do like three-year forecasts, so you'd probably be good beyond that too. Like okay. if they keep their jobs, then you'd get to like 23 years and then maybe... Oh, okay. And then yeah. we're screwed. Yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. 23 is not bad. Yeah. I'll take that. Um, so... Was your job like roughly evenly split between those two things or did you find yourself like moving over more towards that second like energy forecasting side as time went on? Um, It depended on the day and what projects were going on. Um, So if we had to produce, they would happen in different sections because the demand forecast would feed into the energy model. So we'd always have to finish the demand forecast first and then input that into the energy model. Okay. but there were some times where we'd start energy modeling um, with the energy model, some forecasts, but we hadn't been done the, all of the forecasts. So that's kind of where it got tricky to balance projects. And it taught me to be really upfront about, okay, here's what I'm working on. Here's what bandwidth I do have. Here's what bandwidth I don't have and like order things um, accordingly. But I also found that I was doing a lot of different random projects as they came up. And this was, Partially because I had spoken to my manager and said I was interested in a number of different other things. And so when work came up and I had extra bandwidth, I would start working on those. Um, One of those was um, the ISO's market renewal project. So our electricity market was developed in 2002 and there haven't really been a lot of... What does electricity market mean? mean. Okay, so um, the electricity market is the daily trading that happens so that we get electricity for that day. So it's very, like what happens is they'll say, tomorrow we're expecting a demand of let's say 
2,000 megawatts, which is really low, but 2,000 megawatts, so we need enough generators to commit to generate electricity that we can meet that target of 2,000 megawatts. And so then it's kind of like a trading market type thing where people will just bid and say this is how much we can generate for this price, and then they level it out. Um, so hasn't been changed since 2002, which, um, and we've seen a lot of inefficiencies come up, so we were, are in the process of redoing the market. So like redoing that bidding process and like exactly. how people are going to like bid on the right to sell us electricity? Yes. Okay, gotcha. Exactly. Um, and part of that too is how to sell capacity. And so the difference between energy and capacity is energy is kind of like the megawatts um, and the megawatt hours. So it's how much you're generating. The capacity is the generators themselves. So building generators was what the capacity market is. And right now... Um, Anytime we needed to build a new generator, the generator would sign a contract with the government or with someone from the ISO and say, you're going to commit to giving us this amount of money for how much we generate for the next 20 years, again, the 20 years, uh -huh. um, and we'll build a generator. But now what they're looking at with the capacity market is saying, if you give us this amount of money, we'll have a generator that bids, that can produce a thousand megawatts but just for a year commitment okay yeah so like it almost seems like more of like a short-term approach yeah. it's a short-term approach so the risk um, I guess of overcharging or the financial risk is less off the government and less off the ratepayers and more onto the business owners of the generators themselves why is that the direction we're going so we have had a problem in the past of inflated electricity rates, um, which partially is due to the fact that we've committed to pay generators expensive prices for their electricity when their electricity has has not necessarily been worth that much in real time. Okay, gotcha. So yeah. we've just committed that to make sure that we have the energy in the first place? Exactly. Okay, gotcha. So what did it mean for you to be working on the market? So for me, what I was doing was essentially creating briefing notes and just getting information about how other people did this and then presenting that to um, directors, VPs in our company um, and saying like, to help inf you inform your decision, here are some things that other people are doing. So it was a lot of research, a lot of data collecting, um, but it also meant that I got to present in front of a lot of cool people mm -hmm. um, about, I guess, other people other jurisdictions and then I became somehow the expert in other jurisdictions when we had questions about like what does New York do what does um, New England do mm -hmm. I would get pulled in on things. you would just like know what energy markets look like everywhere else yeah okay um so when you were talking about like projects coming up and like being an expert in the organization what does that actually look like like how do projects come up and where is your work going who's looking at it um so it really depends on the scale of the project. Um, with the capacity market, there were a lot of separate... Um, so the capacity market had a lot of different work streams, and so sometimes the work streams would have different groups of people working on it, and when they needed someone from the planning department to give input on it, I would sometimes get pulled in on that. Um, so it was essentially the market renewal team, which was not based in Toronto, they were based in Mississauga, when they had came to our department getting pulled in on that. Um, so I guess it was mostly going towards their team, but we'd also get requests from 
the government at different times, um, the public as well, depending on what the nature of the request was, as well as other places in the organization. Okay, gotcha. So it sounds like you guys were like people, were like knowledge workers primarily. Okay. Yeah. That's one of the functions of the group, yeah. Did you like it? I really liked it. Um, what I liked about it was the fact that I got a high level view of Ontario's market, um, the amount of electricity we use, but then also the generators we have, but also I was able to get a view on the other markets as well. Um, Specifically because of that project you ended up doing? Because of the project, yeah. Um, and I was also able to do a lot of cool things. I found that if I had a question, um, everyone was really open and answer, would answer my question. Um, and sit down and explain it to me. It wasn't like, oh, here, read this, but we would have a conversation. And if I said, oh, why isn't it done this way? They would say, oh, that's a good idea, or here's the reasons why. So I found everyone was really, really open and to having discussions. Um, and I also liked it because I was given a lot of freedom to grow and try new things. Um, and if there was a model, some of the models, I made changes to the efficiencies and like how the code was structured. Um, and I was able to do that on my own initiative and it was implemented moving forward, so, yeah. Was your team mostly engineers? It was a mix of people. Um, so we had a lot of engineers, but we also had people who had done finance, um, economics. There was someone who had done marketing before coming in. Um, and so it was really a mishmash of people. And we also interacted with a lot of other people who weren't engineers. For example, the legal team, the regulatory affairs teams. It was mostly people who had done like law and policy, um, yeah. Was it as you expected it to be? Like both in terms of team structure and in terms of like how the work was? Um, I think it was a lot freer than I initially thought it would be. Um, I thought there would be a little bit more structure, but I found that I liked the way, I ended up liking the amount of structure that it had more than what I thought it would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of the work, I would say, it, again, I was doing more than I thought I would, but in a good way. Uh-huh. Did you end up working like more than standard 40? No, I worked 40 hours. Okay. So you, you like were busier in those 40 hours, yes. but you were never like, had like do nights or anything yeah. like that. Okay. Did you end up actually applying stuff from school? Yes and no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there were certain things... So energy policy, um, stuff like that. I would say that I applied things and it helped me have a deeper understanding of the work that I was doing, but there were other people who I worked with who were industrial engineers um, on PUI as well who didn't have the same background but were able to do the same amount of work. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it just helped me have a deeper understanding and I applied it, but it wasn't necessarily necessary for the job, if that makes sense. Yeah, right. It was just, what do you think was necessary for the job? This is one of the, like, when you go on your PUI, depending on the jobs, and I've had this conversation with a lot of people, you don't actually use a lot of what you work learn in school. Okay. Because most of the, you come in and you have three years of engineering school, they're not expecting you to be experts on the topic. You just kind of, like, they teach you what you need to know, is what I would say. Do you think it makes any sense at all for them to hire, like, engineers in particular, if we just don't use anything from school? I think the, the first principles and the engineering way of thinking is necessary. Uh-huh. Um, and I, as I said, I did use, like, some of the 
stuff and also like the math that you use you learn and the coding I, I definitely use my codings um, okay. background um, part of that I didn't have to but I was working with really large Excel spreadsheets um, with like 87,000 rows um, and so anytime you try to, yeah anytime you try and do a function in it it would just freeze and take like half an hour to process it so I got really tired of doing that so I would just write a script in Python to use what I needed to do in the Excel. Um, so I use coding and I use math and other like the principles behind it. So I think it it does make sense to hire engineers just because you get that experience. Okay, that makes sense. Um, you mentioned that you like liked it a lot overall, you like the freedom and you like like the actual stuff that you worked on and the high level understanding. What didn't you like? I think one of the things that was frustrating at times was how much freedom I got um, in the sense that I was kind of treated like any other employee and in the first little bit before you figure out the work culture and before you figure out how to handle different people it can be very frustrating when like seven people are asking you to do things by tomorrow but you can't get seven things done by tomorrow right. um, so kind of learning how to navigate that was a little bit tough at the beginning um, and that's what I think I didn't like as much um, but once I had connected to like the mentors um, and kind of talked it out with the past interns and stuff like that then I was able to kind of find my footing I would say. Was the biggest shift there like understanding new expectations or being able to like talk better to your coworkers? like what, what was it that made that shift? I think it was both I think it was trying to better understand the expectations and understand what it's what people mean when they say it needs to be done like by these days like which timelines are flexible and which ones aren't right but then also being better at communicating and not being afraid to say no when you have too much work because i think that's something that a lot of interns get scared of and it can kind of mess up your PUI if at the beginning you just say yes to everything and then you get overwhelmed and you say no but then people expect you to say yes because that's what you've set yourself up as for the first like six months. I was just like a person who says yes to everything. Yeah <laughs> and so they're like oh this person can do it because they always do everything. So if you make sure and very clear like these are the boundaries I have but these are the reasons why. So not just necessarily saying oh, I can't do that project, but saying I can't do that project because I have these other four things on my plate, but once I finish these, I can help you out with yours and touching base. I think that's really important. Um, that was kind of the biggest thing that I learned, I would say, one of the biggest things. So once you kind of like figured that out, did you feel like work changed significantly for you? Like you felt like there was like a difference in the way you were working? Yeah, I think there was a difference in the way I was working and also a difference in the way I approached work. I found like when I was at work, I wasn't, I didn't feel as stressed out about having to do as many things and I wouldn't feel as irritated by saying like, oh, this person always gives me work all the time. Can't they see that like I have too much to do, but really like... They can't. They, yeah. <laughs> and so now when you open that dialogue and you have that conversation with them, then it's a lot easier and you kind of see that everyone wants you to do the same things and they're kind of there supporting you. I think that's one of the biggest things is because a lot of times you might have this feeling that, oh, they're just putting so much work on me, but they might not know or realize it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Was there a point in time at work where you felt like you were like, oh shit, I'm good at this? I think when people started asking me questions about other regions and I was like, I'm the intern and I learned this on the internet yesterday. <laughs> Um, 
There was also one day where, so as I had said earlier, part of our group was really siloed, and so we have this database that has all the generators, um, and the person who was responsible for that database was on vacation, and so we had to learn how to use the database, and it was in Microsoft Access, which I hadn't used and none of the other people had used, but I kind of spent a day, I copied the Microsoft Access database to my desktop, and I was fooling around with it, I accidentally sent the start date of all of the generators to the first of 1900, mm -hmm. um, but it was only on my like saved copy, so it was okay. And then the next day, we had a meeting with myself and two other people who were like full times, had worked there for a bit, um, and I taught them access. And they were like, "Wow, you're so good at this!" And I was like, "Thanks, <laughs> I learned it yesterday." <laughs> um, so that was kind of for me really eye-opening, and it also I think it's a generational shift or it might be like an engineering thing here, but I found that I was, if I didn't know something, I was so much quicker to just like Google it and learn it myself. Whereas I found that a lot of my coworkers would try and find manuals or just ask other people in the office and keep asking until someone knew it. Whereas I was more willing to just kind of like- Figure it figure out. Figure it out, yeah. And I found that made me very valuable. Had you ever found that difference between you and, like, say, your parents in terms of using things like phones? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because, yeah, that feels like one of those things that just applies generally, not yeah. just in engineering jobs. Yeah. Um, did you ever feel like any, like, downsides or, like, upsides people don't talk about um, with respect to working at, like, a government job? Um... So what I found interesting was it didn't necessarily feel like a government job because we were a crown corporation, so we were kind of like a step away from it. It sounds way fancier. It sounds way fancier. Um, but it also meant there wasn't as much red tape in terms of what we were doing. Um, and I found like I was freer to explore things, and I had talked to some people who shared similar thoughts. Um, it was nice to come in, like know that I was doing my dedicated eight hours, so to speak, and I wouldn't be required to do longer than that. Um, although some people did, um, it wasn't like an expectation that you would stay there for longer. So yeah, I think I found it overall pretty interesting and kind of like it felt safe, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that makes sense. What was like, what were the last little while of being on the job like in terms of just like, yeah, like let's say like the last month? Um, the last month was mostly transitioning the new intern. so. No, you were the expert. Yeah. Um, no, I was the expert trying to like show her how to do things, um, make sure that she could get on her feet and do everything that I was doing without my help being there. Um, but I also found that there was a period of time where people would be like trying to ask me as many questions before I left. So it was- They were like keenly aware that you were leaving? Yeah. And they're like, can you finish this before you go? Can you finish this before you go? Um, so it was a bit of a, at times I felt stretched because I was like, I need to finish these projects, but I also have to make sure that she knows what she's doing so that she can continue these projects. And it was a little bit confusing and weird, but yeah, made it through. Made it through. Um, you were working in Toronto. So like yeah. you kind of stayed, did you stay living at the same place that you were living? No. So I, I was living, um, I actually moved back home to Markham for three months. Um, and I hated it <laughs> um, because I was commuting from Markham downtown 
And in the mornings it would be like an hour, but in the evenings it would be like an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes because I would take a different route. I wouldn't take the GO train. Um, and the other thing was I was also part of the UTSU at the time. And so I would come to campus work until like 7.30 or 8. Then I would get home and it would be like 9.30, 10. I'd unwind from the day, go to sleep, and then have to get up at 6 again. Um, and I also found it really isolating because Markham's in the middle of nowhere. Um, north of somewhere. It's north, um, but a lot of like my friends and my social life was downtown. So after three months of doing that, I moved back downtown. Okay, so you mentioned that you had, you know, you spent time with the UTSU, and you actually like were. Was that like a very conscious decision for you to stay involved on campus? Um. I wouldn't say it was a conscious decision to stay involved on campus. Uh, it was a separate... I was thinking between two PUIs, and one of them was in Mississauga, and one of them was downtown, and so I made that decision independent of like my extracurriculars, but I had said that if I was going to school in Toronto, I would still stay involved, I guess. Okay. Why was that? Was it just based on like what you could actually do based on commuting and whatnot? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so you left your job like a month earlier than I guess like a 16 month I normally would. Yes. Why was that? Um, so I am currently the president of the Engineering Society and I wanted some time off uh, to get myself settled into the role of president um, before school started. And I had also, I started my job the Monday after exams finished. And so I never really had like a break or just time to like figure out my life. Wow. <laughs> so I was like, I'm gonna take this like month off, I'm gonna go on a little vacation, but I'm also just gonna like figure myself out before fourth year. Did you, do you think it helped? I, it definitely helped. Okay. Yeah. What did that look like? Was it just like reading NSHOC documents and so on and so forth? Um, it was reading NSHOC documents a little bit, but I would just come to, to the Engineering Society like couple hours every day and just sit there and do work and like dedicated work but then I also had my evenings to like relax and unwind with people um, so it wasn't because I think when I was doing effectively two jobs with being my PY and being president at the same time over the summer I wouldn't have that time during the days and weeks to like relax and unwind um, but once August came I did so was nice. I like it on the record that Benjamin Moorhead doesn't know how to read. Uh, you can ask him about it. Uh, so what was coming back to school like? Coming back to school was interesting. So again, because I really liked my courses, I found it was fine in that sense. But the first midterms after you're back at school and your first set of exams are really hard because you forget how to study. Um, and like, but you did all that learning for the next day stuff. Yeah, but you get all you forget how to like study and cram, and I guess just test if that makes uh -huh. sense. Yeah, yeah. So getting ready for exams, I was like, I don't know how much time I have to put into this or budget time, um, and it's just hard to f kind of motivate yourself to study. I guess I don't know. Is, it, is that just like you feel like a, like a muscle you hadn't worked in a while? Yeah, I guess. It was just weird, like, coming up with those study habits again, because I also found at work, once those five hours are done, you leave, 
and then you don't have to think about that at all and you're on to your next thing whereas school you always have school in the back of your mind so gotcha. and there's no defined like times for when you're doing what mm -hmm. um, which I now have built in because um, I, I was finding it really difficult at the beginning to kind of balance when I'm doing edge sock and when I'm doing schoolwork um, so now I just kind of have like designated times for when is what. So do you, do you think like you started structuring your school life more along the lines of work? Yes. Okay. Does that work for you now? I would find it, I would say it works for me, yeah. Okay. A lot better. Did um, taking, you know, some time to work in the actual field that you had wanted to work in for a while change your outlook on the courses you're taking? Um, I wouldn't say that they changed my outlook on the courses so much because I had when I was taking my courses I've made a list of like six or seven that I could take in each semester because not that I was going to take six or seven but it's very hard to schedule courses in your later years when all of them are technical electives I sure. found because a lot of them will conflict with each other so I just had a list of like seven or eight that I'd be interested in um, and those I had picked out before going to work um, but I definitely do see their applications in a different light after seeing how, like, let's say the thing that I'm studying was used in the field. Okay. Did taking that time to work in the industry change at all, like, what you want to do after school? Yeah. So I, when I was, came into university, I actually thought I was going to do research. And then after my research exchange in second year, I discovered I didn't like research because it was way too technical and way too slow. And my job was really like high level, I would say, and big picture. So it helped me see that I really liked that. Um, that being said, I was also fearful that I would enter into a role that's just too high level and big picture, and then I wouldn't be able to do something technical again. Because a lot of people say it's easier for you to go from a technical job to a non-technical job than from a non-technical job to a technical job later. Um, so it did kind of give me that insight, knowing that I like that kind of structured non-technical thing, but I still am going to tr try and start my career in the technical kind of sphere. Doing more of that number stuff. Yes. Okay, gotcha. Um, is that something that like you has had any thought at all, or that's like a later problem? I have had thought, and I've kind of figured it out mostly. What does it look like? Um, so I will be working for Hatch next year. Oh, that's sick. Yeah, um, in the eGrid group. So what the group does is they deal with renewable technology, um, transmission and distribution, as well as energy storage. Um, and what I really like about the group is that they do things of various scales. So anything from scaling a, an energy storage system for um, like a company to designing a 20-year forecast and energy system for a remote island. So you get all of the technical and non-technical things and that whole variety of scales, which I think will help me determine what I want to do further on in my career or if I just want to stay in doing everything. That sounds super cool. Yeah. Um, if you, looking back at your PY, now you're how many months out? Like six? Like going I on six? I think so, yeah. Okay. What would you change? Um, I think I would start asking for more and like having those conversations about what I can and can't do earlier because I found there was a portion of my time where I was just 
stressed out about doing a whole bunch of different things. Um, and I could have pushed those, I could have extended it um, and made the work that I was doing more enjoyable. And so I think that's what I would have done. Um, other than that, nothing too much. Big fan? Yeah. Um, well, Shivani, we're going to keep talking after this, but for the purpose of recording, thank you for talking to us. Um, if people want to reach out to you, if they want to talk to you about anything that they've heard today, or they just need your sage advice about all kinds of things, um, where can they find you, or how uh, can they reach you? You can find me on Facebook and on LinkedIn as Shivani Nathu. Okay, yeah. we'll link that. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Uh, this has been that thing I did for a year. Thank you, Shivani. We'll see you next week. Thank you.